welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Dylan Carnival, and I'm the Browncroft staff and producer of the show. I'm joined today by our host, Peter Engler, the director of adult ministries here at Browncroft, and John Amayo, the New York State crew director. Why God Why is a podcast where we ask 21st century questions about God that you never thought you could. And today our guest is Joe Terreri, and we're talking about the question, Why God Why is finding yourself terrible advice? John, I'm really excited uh, to talk to Joe Terreri for a number of reasons. But, you know, as I think about this topic, why finding yourself is terrible advice. I mean, you work on college campuses all the time. I'm sure you hear that. What are your thoughts about this topic? Yeah, I mean, it is very, uh, you know, something that's talked about a lot is, you know, you do you, find yourself, uh, you know, you know, putting it back into our uh, vernacular back when I was, you know, even growing up was, you know, be all that you can be. That was kind of the army slogan back in the day. But now it's kind of taken on a, a, a whole different level where where this idea of finding yourself is really the the ultimate priority in life. And so I think people are really struggling with what does that mean right now? And I'm looking forward to having this conversation today with Joe. And Joe, someone you've known really well. And uh, I'd love for you to introduce everybody to Joe. Well, Joe, uh, you know, as has been said before, he's the lead pastor at Connection Church. When I lived in Philadelphia, he was my pastor. And... Um, Joe, I you told me you had something to say before we ask you the first question, so I'm just going to give you the floor, and then we'll go there. Well, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me. It's an honor to be on uh, the podcast. Um, but the first thing I think just everyone should know is that, uh, not that I'm in the business of taking credit for things, but I'd like to take full credit for uh, introducing Peter to his wife, Robin. Uh, in fact, I was the one who encouraged Peter to get Robin's number, and though he looked at me like uh, that was a real bad decision, I just think everyone to know it was easily the best decision he ever made. <laughs> wow, wow, we actually heard about this. Uh, we actually heard about this on episode 38, I believe it was. Uh, you know, why God, why would anyone want to marry Peter Angler? I believe that episode. <laughs> I don't know, uh, actually, I don't know if that's the right number or not, but whatever it is, you can go, everybody can go back and, and listen to the actual story from Peter's perspective. Robin tells her side of the story too. So yes, yes. anyway, Dan, so that's, this is, Joe, this is really cool to get an opportunity to actually you know, talk with you, the person that brought them together. Yeah. And, and I did hear Robin's side of the story and, and I, you know, I, I know Robin probably would have been, uh, mortified if Peter would have asked for her number too soon. And, um, but I just, you know, I saw the sparks before really anyone else did. And, um, you know, I'm not saying Peter needed help because that would be, I mean, incredibly true, but I just felt like, you know, it was it, that I remember that retreat. It was with Browncroft. Uh, it was for their uh, young adults ministry, and I remember being there, and I spoke, and I think, you know, I think I had been preaching at that point for 20 minutes, so it was probably painful for everyone in the, uh, everyone who went on the retreat, but there is one beautiful thing that happened there, and that's Peter and Robin Englert, and just how God brought them together, and uh, man, it was, I remember that so vividly, and uh, I'm just grateful that Peter agreed to accompany me on that trip. And, uh, he is forever in my debt, so that's good. Actually, the Why God Why podcast is forever in your debt. Because if he didn't move to 
I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to go you know, that far. I know you would never toot your own horn. No, but, you know. no. And I don't want to go I don't want to go as far as to say that I take credit for the podcast. Just yeah. Peter's marriage. I mean, and I don't think that's too much to take credit for. You know, this is... You're a very humble man. Yeah, very, very humble man. And it's so good that we're talking about (laughs) why finding yourself (laughs) is such bad advice. Uh, Speaking of... I don't think we've laughed this much, and maybe I haven't been quiet this much, but Joe, you segued us right in. By the way, these are one of the COVID files, uh, you know, that we're recording. I'm at home, John's at home, and uh, Dylan's remotely. So, Joe, as we get started with this question, I feel like I've heard you say this, that finding yourself is terrible advice. Help us understand what exactly you mean with that question. What do you think that that, you know, what are the things that come up in your mind? I think that when people are trying to find themselves, I think they're actually starting with this false idea to begin with that there's something about themselves that if they could only discover it, it's going to make them feel more whole spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. And so I think that finding yourself is bad advice uh, because it, it starts with a false assumption about what the self contains. Mm. And so I, I think that, I think that, I think people like, you know, I mean, for example, it's like, oh, I'm going to go out, you know, you've heard people do this. I'm going to go on a road trip and I'm going to go find myself. And what they really mean is, is I'm going to go spend a lot of time on my own in some unknown place, probably make some choices I'm going to regret, stand on, you know, stand on the beaches of the Pacific Ocean and, and stare out into the sunset and just maybe have an epiphany about my life. And I just, I don't think that's how God has wired us to discover purpose, meaning, and even our own sense of value. Hmm. So generally speaking, we try to frame things here in a really practical way for people. So like beyond just the theoretical idea of finding yourself, like we try to go, okay, here's how this has lived out in our lives or, you know, our guest lives. Have you had experience in this, like in a section of your life where you felt like, Hey, I'm pursuing quote unquote, finding myself. And if so, what did that look like for you? What didn't that look like for you? Um, what was that experience like? Well, I think and you can make me, something up if you don't have anything. No, 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 that's okay. <laughs> I think, I think for me, um, that a lot of this manifests itself in struggle with identity issues. And hmm. so I think that a lot of the times what we describe as I'm going to find myself or any kind of vernacular you want to put around that is, is really about, um, not really understanding our identity as human persons made in the image of God. And so I think for me, I I came to this point in life where, you know, I did a lot of things early in life. So I got married at age 21. I got, uh, my wife and I had kids when I was, when we were, I was 25. And so I got my first full-time job as a pastor at age 25 as well. I became a lead pastor at age 29. And so 
I've always been sort of considered mature and maybe even, um, and people don't say this anymore, wise beyond my years. Um, but I think that for me, it was in this moment where I realized that I was sort of building my identity around uh, maybe being the mature person, being the stable one, uh, kind of going first in life, maybe not totally embracing just being young and and mm. and enjoying um, being a young person and and maybe trying to grow up a little bit too fast. And I'm not saying that I did that. I actually don't regret any of the decisions I made from getting married and having kids and and taking a job at uh, 25 and becoming a lead pastor at 29. Like I actually think that there's so much good that has come out of that. But in my own life, it was just realizing that my identity cannot be built on what I'm doing because here's what happened to me. I had done pretty well at most things in life up until I became a youth pastor. And uh, mm. one of my friends used to describe ministry as take the most inexperienced person in the church, uh, the most inexper inexperienced person in leadership in the church, and give them the most unstable group of people to lead. And uh, <laughs> so that seems like a cruel joke, and I love youth pastors, and I was like the world's most average youth pastor. So as I got into ministry and realized that I actually had no idea what I was doing, I wasn't seeing any kind of those external measures of success, I actually had a real identity crisis of kind of like, who am I? And I am so glad that I did so poorly in those first years of my ministry because it really caused me to realize that what that like I don't I don't have what people need internally in myself and my identity can't be built on my successes and on my accomplishments and so I really had to and then I was also dealing with some sin that I had kind of never really processed in my own life that really was haunting me at, at one level. And um, I, 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 I had done some things that I was like, man, I really like kind of like I regret some of the things that I, I did and uh, they weren't against the law or anything like that. It just, it's just like those kind of like young man errors that you make that aren't errors. They're actually just full-blown sin. And really realizing that I didn't know like how to process those things. And so what I really saw in myself was just shame and failure. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't rescue myself from that. And it was embarrassing to be a pastor and still kind of be facing some of those things. But, um, it, it really, it really stripped me of strength and confidence. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a tall person. I'm a big guy. I when I walk in somewhere, people notice just because I have a strong physical presence, not because I'm, you know, great. I don't mean that at all. But like, but like, I was able to carry myself well externally, but internally, uh, I di I didn't really know who I was, and I really lacked the confidence that I thought I had when I was younger. Joe, I want to push back a little bit because I, I, when I think of most people that find themselves, they're like. Joe, I, I could care less about being a youth pastor at 25. I could care less about being, you know, a youth pastor at 29. They're, they're like actually the opposite. Like I want to go, you know, for the Peace Corps for a year. You know, I want to do the yeah. Julia Roberts eat, pray, love, you know? And so Joe, you're, <laughs> you're, you're answering this question and you're like, you know, in some ways there's a part of people that want to find themselves in their career, but 
What about for those people that say, hey, I, I just want to give a year of my life away to travel. What's the problem with that? I don't I don't think there's a problem with giving yourself a year to travel. I, I would just ask, like, I think that, I mean, listen, if you have the means and I would say that would be the first thing, like, do you have the money to do that? Or are you going to, are you going to float that thing on your credit card and end up paying, uh, three times as much? So that's just, that's not even about finding yourself. That's just like financial advice. Um, but I would say that I, I don't think that that's wrong. However, I think that if it's self-centered, if it's about me, we are not built for a self-focused life. So like I, I, there are some places I can't wait to travel to. And during coronavirus when we're when we're recording this, I bet everyone's got their list of places they'd like to go is just growing and and, and at the same time we're probably overinflating the greatness of how that's going to be because we can't have it because we've all probably figured out by now the things that we can't have or what we want most and what we want most once we get it usually isn't as good as that we think it's going to be. So that's a, another issue for a different day. Um, but I don't think it's wrong to take a year and travel and see the world and experience life. But I would say that you could come back and whatever you took with you on the trip is still a part of you. Whatever mm. baggage you were carrying before, whatever... Sometimes traveling is really just a Instagram-worthy, uh, trying to take great Instagram pictures about your life, but it's really like you're just running away. You're just running away from your problems, and sometimes we think going places actually brings healing to the soul for our hurts. And so when we're trying to find ourselves, what we're actually doing is putting off our healing because we're not actually addressing the real issues. We're masking them with activity. Hmm. So let me let me do a little time travel with you here, Joe, and go back to what you were describing there, your early 20s, kind of being a youth pastor. During that season of your life, as you were experiencing, uh, you know, in, in a sense, your own identity leaning into who you were, as I think you described it, what would you say your main emphasis was in your life at that time? So as you kind of were like pursuing your own identity and getting wrapped up in in the job of ministry, where did you find yourself kind of gravitating toward putting all of your kind of hope in or your identity in? What, what were some of those things for you? I think I think it's I think it was easily performance. Like if I perform well, then I'm valid. And if I perform well, then I can feel an internal sense of, of, uh, of affirmation. So I think that a lot of my identity was built on, um, just kind of this trap of performing and, and, um, and if I'm, and, and truthfully, if I'm not careful, I can easily slip into that. Um, and kind of realizing that I need to put my faith uh, solely in Christ, and and He doesn't love me more because of how well I do something, how well what a, how well I'm of a dad I'm being, how well of a husband I'm being, how well I'm leading our church, how well I preach on a Sunday morning. Um, so I would say that that's like a deep rooted issue in my life is is uh, and 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 that can only be <laughs> really solved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, where he loves us regardless of how we perform. Um, 
I think that that at the core of those days of my life was not really understanding how the gospel answered my identity crisis. So Joe, you know, I don't think people know this, but you're you're fairly um uh, we'll just say, uh, just for our audience, we'll delineate self-awareness. We kind of see that more as leaning towards health and maybe finding yourself leaning more towards unhealth. And again, it, we're just kind of defining it just to be helpful. You know, so you do things like the Enneagram, you do Myers-Briggs, you know. So in your mind, what's the difference between self-awareness and like maybe unhealthy finding yourself? Yeah, I think those tools can be super helpful. Um, I think I'm an Enneagram 8. Uh, I know my Myers-Briggs. I know um, I, I like to take personality tests. Um, but I think that self-awareness is helpful so that you know how God has wired you. Like I think, I think self-understanding can be such a wonderful uh, way to develop emotional health, kind of as you said, Peter, Here's where it goes dark. It goes dark when self-understanding goes into idolatry, meaning that I am now going to take these things I learned about myself and pursue self-actualization. Like I'm going to pursue a life that that is all about me and mm-hmm. all about what what brings me joy and brings me fulfillment and makes me look good and you know i could never do a job this is classic i could never do a job that that doesn't fit well with like who i am and i could never and i could never you know i can't i'm sorry i can't serve those people because that's not really my gift or i can't you know i can't i, I think some of these things just become so like like our, our, our personalities become like an excuse. That's when self-awareness goes into idolatry where, I mean, Jesus Christ said he came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve and not be served. And sometimes we can use our personality and we could use our, our Myers-Briggs and our Enneagram as, as these kind of like, they shield us from laying our lives down for Christ and uh, we were not wired to turn inward. We were wired to serve outward. So if self-understanding can really be like asking the question, how has God best equipped me to serve others? I think that's a beautiful, redemptive question. I think if the question is, now that I, or it's like, how can I accentuate who I am so that I can you know, feel good on the inside all the time about my life? It's like self-absorption can just easily creep in. And I, like we were made to worship, mm. and but we, but we drift so easily to self-absorption. And I think there's just, it's a fine line, but I think we know when we've drifted from one to the other. I think that kind of paying attention to how much time you're thinking about yourself is like hugely important. Like, I think that is just your first barometer. And then uh, off off your uh, conversation with the friend you mentioned, John, you know, you take that, you play that out to its logical conclusion, like, I'm just going to follow all my desires. I mean, just pay attention to the emptiness that would leave you with. 
And I don't know about you, but I, I desire all kinds of things that are just solely about making my life better and making my life, uh, like pleasing my, my flesh and pleasing myself and pleasing, like, just like whatever I want, you know, and it's just like, when you can't tell yourself, no, you, you've, you've, you've become your own God. And, and really it's, it's, I think the issue is, is glory. Like, I know that's kind of a strange way to put it, but it's like, I think the question would be to kind of like help someone understand if I'm into self-understanding or if I've just become self-centered is simply asking yourself the question, whose glory am I living for? Is my life for God's glory? Like, is everything I am and everything I do and everything I say and the way that I treat people and the way that I process life, is it about saying that I exist to just show the world that God is great? Or is my life about proving to the world that I am great? Mm. And I think that's just I think the issue of glory really helps us to differentiate. And it could be a good diagnostic question as we're making decisions and thinking about our own lives. Like, what is this for? Is this to highlight my intellect? Is this to highlight how spiritual I am? Because <laughs> Christianity is a wonderful place to be self-absorbed because there's so many competing messages sure. um, around what it actually means to be a Christian. Um, but yeah, so I, I think I think asking yourself who's glory, who is going to receive the most glory by the life that you're living. Well, Joe, I also kind of want to bring up this is this is the fun part about having your friends on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you embarrass me now; I can embarrass you. But oh, okay. you know, the gift that keeps on giving. Like I think about it, even on a brass tax level, you know, a lot of our generation loves talking about like the enneagram, and you mentioned that you're an enneagram eight, and like. I think even having language around, you know, if Joe walks into a meeting and just belligerently runs somebody up and down and like there's tears and there's crying and Joe leaves at me, he's like, I'm just an Enneagram eight, get used to it. But, <laughs> right. but, right. but on the other hand, what I see more often from Joe is there's a moment when no one in the room wants to call out unfairness or there's someone that's being bullied and all of a sudden I see this image of God reflection of him saying no we're not going to do that like and even just the way he takes leadership in charge like there's a redemptive form that it's like this is how God wired me to help other people not this is the way I am just get used to it yeah yeah and I think that's and I think that's the well thank you by the way thank you that was very kind um yeah, because I don't, and that's the thing. Like I know, I know characteristics of Enneagram eights, Peter, and I, I hear Enneagram eights talk about what it's like and kind of their shadow side, and and I just think like none of us at any moment we have we have ceased to be thinking with a a mind that is really informed by the scriptures <laughs> when we start making excuses for how we operate because of what some. Don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> Stupid chart says our number is. Like, and that's a very eight thing to say. I understand that. But it's like we can put so much stock into these things. And and I remember even early on in my ministry, someone told me my Myers Briggs, and someone was like, Oh, these Myers Briggs types, they operate and behave this way. 
And and then I found myself thinking like, oh, I guess that's just how I'm going to be the rest of my life. And here's what I discovered. I don't, I would want to operate that way, but I don't have to operate that way. Like on a, on a Myers-Briggs, I'm not some big visionary leader who's going to lead the charge, take the hill and lead a, a growing organization. I said, but it's like, God has in his mercy, in his mercy, used me to like lead our church. And it's like, yeah, my, my Myers-Briggs doesn't line up with what it says I should be. And at the same time, like that's a positive example. Like you don't have to be confined to your personality because God is bigger than your personality. So I think there's something to be like, yeah, don't be hamstrung by your personality. Like the spirit of God in you is bigger than your Enneagram number in your Myers-Briggs. And at the same time, on the dark side of that is, is don't use your personality or your makeup or even your self-awareness as an excuse to sin. Like I've had people say to me, like they've been communicating in a way to me that's just like super harsh. And they're like, oh, but I don't really feel that way. That's how I'm communicating. And I'm like, I don't care how you feel. You're coming across as a jerk. Like that's not like you can say whatever you want about your behavior, what we're actually experiencing is not the love and the grace of Jesus flowing in you. And so I think that we just need to be super careful not to use these beautiful gifts of self-awareness and understanding the wiring that we have as as excuses for why we're not more like Jesus. Mm. So, so Joe, I love I love what you're discussing here, and I imagine there's people who are going, man, that... That sounds like an intriguing way to live to me, hmm. um, but I just am not even sure where I would start with that. Hmm. Like, I'm not even sure where that would begin. I'm hmm. just so used to focusing on myself that I can't imagine at this point focusing on something outside of myself. Where would you tell those people to begin? Because we have people listening that, yeah. you know, are from all over the spectrum and yeah. they may or may not. A lot of our people who are, who listen haven't decided that they want to follow Jesus with their yeah. life yet. They're just kind of checking it out. And that's why they're they're listening is to kind of check this out. Yeah. So um, maybe for somebody, can you speak to them and go like if if that's where they're at, what would a first step be for them? Well, I think that, first of all, if you're still listening person who you just described, I'm, that's super honoring that you would continue to listen. And I would just say to you with, with just, you know, imagining that we're just able to sit down together in a Starbucks when they open back up and we could just look at one another. Um, I would just love to be able to say to you, like the path to the life you wanted is actually not, um, chasing your dreams with you at the center. Mm -hmm. The path to the life you wanted really can only begin by looking to Jesus. And it's only by looking to Jesus and seeing who he is and understanding, first and foremost, his just incredible love for us, his passion for us, his desire to know us and for us to be made whole in him and through him. It's only by looking to Christ that you can even begin to say that there is something better than living for me. And there's only one thing better than living for yourself. There's really only one thing, and and, and it's living for Christ. And, and I would say this, 
It is actually not that much better to live for others. It might make you feel better, but the call of Christ and, and, and how you were wired is not actually just to live for others. It's to live for Christ. And, and of course, living for others is an outflow of living for Christ. But it's only when we behold Christ and when we see Christ and we see his love for us and we see his grace for us and he comes to us and he looks at us and he just says, hey, you don't have what it takes. And I also want you to know like the pressure's off. Like I already know that. Like Jesus already knows that you are bad at doing you. And he comes to us and he invites us to rest in him and he invites us to to just find our hope and our identity in him. And and then he just kind of says, just follow me, look at me, and do what you see me doing. And that's when real freedom comes. Like living for yourself is a prison. And the reason we don't understand that is because we've normalized it. But like people are like that is a prison. Like we think having to stay home is like being in prison. No, living at the whim of your desires is actually a much more dangerous, dark, and destructive prison to live in. You know, Joe, I'm I'm thinking about that because I <clears throat> I think sometimes in Christianity we say about Jesus being the only way and we talk about what he brings and I think that's important, but we we don't what you did there was living in a prison um, for yourself. And we don't talk about that. And just yesterday I was with a friend um, and he was telling me about his divorce. And basically for a year, his wife said to him, you know, she said, hey, uh, I don't want to be married. And not just like said it, but like acted like it. Like they were just basically roommates. And, you know, at the end of it, you know, finally after an affair and after counseling, like she just ended it and she just made this comment. Um, you know, she's like, can we, can we just say that this was mutual? And I thought about my friend in that moment because it's like, this is the world we live in. Like, uh, give me all I want. And I, I think if people are in that situation, I want to be careful, but like, essentially that's a way of like, just give me all we want. So if he says yes, he's always going to have resentment towards him. But if he says no, which is what he did. Very like, I think all of us. Give me what I want, but they're not. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I just, I think because we experienced a situation similar recently with people we love and, and I, you know, I, I told this person who was making similar decisions that you're describing and, and had an opportunity to just speak to them directly and just said, this isn't going to end how you want it to end. Like you think you're choosing something that feels so right right now, but you're, you're going to end up thirsty in the desert. Like you're going to be realizing that what you thought was going to be so life-giving and so honestly, so fulfilling internally, like so self-fulfilling actually 
ends up leaving you just just more broken, more thirsty, more hungry, more dissatisfied. And and that's what happens when we live for ourselves. That's what happens when we are slaves to our desires. They just continually just it's like it's like handing someone a glass of of water when they're thirsty and they're and like they drink it and they realize it's salt water. It's like this didn't help at all. Like it looks refreshing and it has all the characteristics of water, but you drink it and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this is salt water." But you just keep drinking cuz you think that's going to quench your thirst and that's what happens to us when we invest so heavily in the self and the self is driving our decision making and our desires and then we're bowing to those things. Mm. Man, that's so applicable to all of our lives. And, and you know, I think, Peter, you, you share that illustration. Joe, you shared that illustration. I think we can all point to those instances around us. I mean, it doesn't take long to see. All of us have been impacted in one way or another by that. If it isn't us making those decisions, and it is often us in little ways and in big ways. Yes. Um, we can see it impacting the lives around us. And so, uh, you know, I think one of the questions that we we always ask this question at the very end, and certainly you've done a great job of leading us there throughout this whole conversation, Joe, but we do like to put a kind of a bow on it, if you will, and ask as a final question, what would Jesus say about this? And I think this this topic in particular, seems like obviously Jesus has a lot to say about this. Yes. But I wonder what he would say to those of us out there who, specifically to those of us out there, I think of those people who we want to have those conversations with that are, that are in that spot, just seeking what they want in life. What would he say to somebody who is desperately seeking fulfillment in just their own self and desperately trying to to find happiness there. Yeah. Um, Peter, you want to go first? I don't know. Well, <laughs> we, we forgot to tell Joe our, our usual cliche, which is, you know, we'll uh, we'll throw some uh, chaos out, maybe some heresy, and you get to clean it up. So that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah. You know, as I as we've been talking, you know, I think one of the problems that we see with God um, is we think of God as this like glory hoarder, you know, and um, like everything's about him. And I'm just reminded of John three sixteen of for God so loved the world he gave and to be eternally and perfectly confident and self-aware doesn't lead to narcissism and it doesn't lead to um it doesn't lead to to apathy and just treating people the way you want but the actual model of jesus is he said i love and i gave for others and so when we talk about god getting glory when we talk about finding yourself in self-awareness the way that jesus lived his life was so open-handedly that that in finding himself, he found it in giving for us. And so we're called for that experience. So mm. go ahead, John. 
Yeah, wow. I mean, there's so much you could say in this. And I don't know why, but my thoughts are going to Jesus as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane before he uh, is taken away to be crucified the night before. And he is very, very in touch with his emotions. Like Jesus knows exactly what he is feeling in that moment. He isn't ignoring it. He isn't suppressing it. He is being just brutally honest with God about what he wants for his life. And he says, Father, if there's a way that you can take this from me, take it from me. I do not want to go through this. But nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. I want you, and as you were saying before, Joe, I want you, Father, to get the glory from my life, not even me. And I think that that Jesus sets this pattern for us, and not only does he set the pattern, but but he's accomplished it for us. What he went on to do actually was to set us free from that sin that we're so accustomed to just following our own way over and over and over again. He actually set us free from that. So we don't have to be imprisoned by it anymore. Um, and I think that's, there's such beauty in that, that he would do that for us. Yes. Um, it's such a beautiful thing. He sets an amazing example, I think for us in that. Mm. Um, so that's where my mind went as we're having this conversation Joe, what do you think? Yeah, those are both really excellent. Um, I would, this week I'm uh, getting ready to preach again um, to a to an empty room, and um, I'm preaching about Jesus when he comes into Jerusalem. Uh, the week we're recording this, Palm Sunday is coming up, and what's amazing about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday is just the way that he does it. The crowd is cheering for him. Literally, I mean, Josephus says that about about 30 years after Jesus rode into Jerusalem during the Passover feast, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, there were 2.7 million people in Jerusalem like 30 years later. So we don't think, we don't know if there are 2.7 million people who have come out to, to greet Jesus, but we do know that, that there is just a massive crowd and I mean, you think about, <laughs> you think about finding yourself, it's like, oh my gosh, like, I mean, who wouldn't want just multitudes to be waving uh, palm branches? Like for that, for the Israelites, that was like their national sim uh, symbol of pride. So just imagine like we walk into one of our, our football stadiums and like there's fireworks and then there's like F-16s flying over and like just all for us. And they say to Jesus, Hosanna, and which means save us. And it's like, oh my gosh, this really is the Messiah. And then, and then I'm going to be preaching out of John, and all, all the gospel writers tell us that Jesus came riding in on a donkey, and this, this fulfills a, a prophecy out of Zechariah, and Jesus comes on a donkey, like not on a war horse, not in like, I've come to defeat my enemies, but in Zechariah actually says, that Jesus, that the Messiah would come and he would be gentle and lowly. And how all these people are screaming for Jesus to save them in a moment of just, ex that could be an extreme moment of self-actualization. And Jesus just says, no, I came here to serve. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the story, not the end of the story, but 
after Jesus kind of makes his way into Jerusalem, his disciples come to him and say, hey, there's some Greeks who want to speak to you. And and Jesus says that this, he says about himself that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, um, it's only a single seed, but if when it dies, it, be, it bears much fruit. And so Jesus is saying, yes, I know that literally thousands and maybe tens of thousands of people were just cheering for me, but I came here to die. And in my death, I'll bear fruit. And then he looks at his disciples and he says these words. He says, anyone who loves their life will lose it. Will anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And then listen to what Jesus promises. Whoever serves me must follow me. Follow him where? Follow him to his death. And where I am, my servant will also will be. And then Jesus promises us this. My father will honor the one who serves me. My father will honor the one who serves me. So the message that Jesus wants us to know, like there is something so much better than finding yourself. There is a day coming that will prove when you make your life about serving Christ that you will be honored in God's presence. And I don't know about you, but like that's got to be better than living for yourself, like at every level. So Jesus says, hey, you know where your real life is? It's found in dying to yourself and living for me. But just so you know, if you make your life about that, a day of honor is coming that will be far more glorious and great than living for your desires. Wow, what a way to close. Joe, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, if you'd like to find us, we are at whygodwhypodcast.com. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram, at Twitter, and Facebook at WGW Podcast. Uh, use the hashtag to share this WGW Podcast. Uh, thank you so much uh, for being with us. Make sure you leave us a review, write something nice, um, give us five stars, or as John would say, give what you feel, especially if it's five stars. Anyways, thank you so much much. Have a great day.